Hey everyone, welcome back, or for the first time, to the Perseverance Podcast. This is episode seven. I'm with my great friend again, Angela Mason. Hey, Ange. Hi, John. How Thank are you, you today? so much for having me. Yeah, good. Glad you're here. And uh, we're going to have a conversation. Actually, this episode and the next episode are connected. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, preaching mm-hmm. together. And uh, we've done this for a while. We really have. You know, John, we've actually worked together. It's going on about 18 years now. I know. Crazy. And I, it, it feels like just such a long time in ministry. Yes. Um, but it is a long time it, it in is. ministry. It is. And, and you have been senior pastor. You've stayed in one congregation, speaking to the same congregation for 25 years or yeah, more, right? That's right. Yeah, I, I think that's really impressive. <laughs> so, some days, some days, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just assume that in that length of time, um, you have been given such an opportunity to learn, to really refine skills as far as preaching and uh, just even your method on how you prepare to preach. Um, I've actually learned quite a bit from you mm-hmm. in regards to preaching. Uh, you have taught two groups on our staff. You've taken some of us in smaller groups and and spoken to us around uh, preaching and preparation for sermons, but you've also taught in other contexts. Yeah, for and sure. so um, I think that today it would be great if we talk about um, well, your methods of preparation, I really think that actually it is quite unique. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. First, we, we need to talk about something that I've heard you explain in context, and I just think it is so clarifying, preaching biases. Yeah. So um, again, the goal for this conversation, for you listening who are key volunteers or pastors or leaders or Christian influencers, some of you have the gift of preaching, some of you have that responsibility. And as we say around here all the time, it's only one of the 21 gifts. It's important, but it's not always the only important gift. Mm-hmm. All the gifts are needed in a local community. But um, yeah, we wanted to take some time to connect uh, preaching and perseverance, and also want to talk about some biases, like you've just mentioned, that we have here that are not a new because there's nothing new under the sun, someone said, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think are helpful and wise. So uh, you're referring to a conversation I had with a different group of friends about preaching bias that you were listening into. And I, uh, 25 plus years in preaching, first as youth pastor, young adult pastor, and then as a senior leader here, I was like, oh my goodness, just like we've done with gifts and disciplines and actually what we did with calling, I think there's some categories or some framing for preaching that... If we have these, it's going to lead to good expectations, unity, and actually deal with uh, some jealousy, fear, or anger. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was uh, prepping to talk to another community about preaching, I just realized this isn't from a course. It's not from a preaching book. This was by observation. I think there are three biases to preaching. And what I mean by bias is three ways the average faithful person who handles God's word tends to ebb. So I, I called I called it basically common faithfulness preaching, uh, felt need preaching, and prompting preaching. And when I first said this to some people, everyone sort of – there was a lot of like long-term pastors on the call and some young adults who were getting ready to learn how to preach and some people in the middle. And they all sort of leaned in. They, they were like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well – as I've done this now for a long time, and interesting, like, Ange, you're on our teaching team here. You teach. Mm-hmm. We have lots of other different people teach. As I've observed what happens internally at Sanctus, what I've seen, I'm like, oh, there's like this gravitational pull to one of these three things. So let's just talk about them. Mm-hmm. So uh, common faithfulness preaching um, for me is we – well, let me do it like this. We all believe – I'm holding the Bible in my hand for you who are uh, listening to this auto form um, – 
we all believe this is the inspired word of God. Absolutely. I mean, right? So this mm-hmm. is, as we say, not the only, but the ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. Uh, we always use the language around here. This is the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason, experience, and tradition are very important, need to be used, but this is the Supreme Court. And we would say that preaching is really important because it's the rudder of a ship. It makes sure that we don't fall into error or lie. It's a key way to feed sheep. There's all those, you know, amazing analogies mm-hmm. uh, and truths. So we all agree, well, maybe not every listening disagree, but the presumption is we all agree that this is God's inspired word and we need to help people understand and follow what it's saying. Common faithfulness preaching basically says this is the inspired word of God. And and it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness. And I think it's in Hebrews 4. Mm. I think it's Hebrews 4. Forgive if, if I got the wrong reference as a teacher and preacher. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, you know, the idea that the word of God is like sharper than a two-edged sword and it like cuts and it's alive and active. So a common faithfulness bias would be I should be able to open up Leviticus, Lamentations, uh, I should be able to look up, uh, open up Job, uh, Jonah, Matthew, and just preach. And because it's God-inspired word, um, uh, God's going to speak. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter where I speak from, verse by verse, exegetical, whether you walk through the passage or you speak topically, uh, I can speak with authority because this is God's word. And, and Ange, I think you and I did the the uh, the conversation about guaranteed places of encounter, mm-hmm. and we talked about how... God's word and the gospel is a guaranteed place of encounter because it's alive and active and the spirit of God is always present. Mm -hmm. So I find a lot of people are like, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what's going on in my church. If I just preach through the scriptures, God's going to speak. And I would go, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. And I know certain churches that you know, we would spend, I don't know, like 18 weeks in Acts and they'd spend like 3.5 years, <laughs> right, in Acts. And yeah. maybe you and I have been in churches that sort of grew up in that sort of world. Yes, yes. And so I, what I love about that bias is they take at face value that God is always speaking through his word. Mm-hmm. It's a guaranteed place of encounter. And and God's word is good in season and out, mm-hmm. basically. So that's like bias one. And as I get going, I just want to say this too, and we were talking earlier, I'm not saying that any of these are better than the other. These are just three ebbs or directions you you might find yourself in. Yeah, I think that's good that we say that now. We'll say it again later as yes, well. Yes, totally. Yeah, there's, there's not a right or wrong. These are just different biases. Mm-hmm. And we find these in churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find these in leaders. We find this in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is felt needs preaching. And what I would say is there's a lot of uh, church leaders and churches that go, okay, I need to know what's going on in my church. I need to know what's going on in my people. Because if I'm going to disciple them, that is make them more fully devoted followers of Jesus, I need to uh, proactively, this is contradiction, react <laughs> to what they're thinking, struggling, wrestling with, all of that sort of stuff. Or I'm watching what's happening in culture 24-7, and I want to make sure our church is responding right to that thing. And uh, so I think uh, there's a lot of churches that are uh, polling their people, doing demographic research. What are people thinking and struggling uh, with in the community that are Christian, not Christian, other faith? And they build their preaching bias on responding to the felt needs of people. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And again, there's great wisdom in that because you're always dealing with either the hot button issues or you're dealing with what the sort of the heart needs are of your people and trying to form them more like Christ or introduce them to Christ. And I would say in the 90s and 2000s, you know, from an evangelism perspective, that seeker sensitive thing mm-hmm. sort of had its roots in the same idea. Let's find out what is happening out there so we can build a bridge for some to come in. That that's one methodology. But I find that's really true in preaching. And by the way, lots of felt need preachers are not seeker sensitive. I just want to make that clear because right. of the audience and who's listening, everyone put your guns down. Just don't step on a mine. We're just tr- trying to work this out. And felt need preaching, that's very similar to when we read through Paul's writings. We see that, that that's how he was responding to the different churches, right? Right, yeah. So he would find out there was a problem and mm-hmm. go, Oh my goodness, in First Corinthians, you know, what the heaven is going on over there? <laughs> we, we need to talk about all of this stuff. Right. Uh, Peter's uh, Peter's uh, um, work are more, as we would call them, Catholic, small c Catholic, global. They're, they're more speaking to the church or the churches, not uniquely to a church. So yeah, yeah, you can find all of that. The, the third bias um, uh, or direction in preaching is what I would call prompt based preaching. Okay. And that's saying, so you'll notice all three groups agree on the authority of God's word. All three groups want their people to be formed by the scriptures, live under the scriptures, hear the word of God. All three groups want to invite those who are not part of the faith to encounter Jesus. Prompting based preaching starts in a totally different world. It's like in a different universe where it says, though I care about what's going on in society, when I care what's going on in our people, and though I know God's word is common, faithful, and accessible, my starting point isn't the felt needs. My starting point is not the world's uh, latest conversation. And my starting point is not (laughs) just this idea that things are faithful. It's actually something more. From heaven's view, because Jesus is the Lord of the church, the question is, what does he want to speak to this congregation in this moment? Hmm. So um, it's a completely different starting point because you're going, um, I, I don't care. I, of course, care. I don't actually care what's happening culturally or what my people want me to talk about or actually just because Lamentations is inspired, I can use it. What do I, out of the revealed word of God, think that Jesus himself, who owns the church and uniquely understands our congregation, different than a congregation down the street or in Missouri or in Berlin or in Southern Sudan, right? Or in Beijing, because he's the Lord of all churches. And like out of the book of Revelation, right? Jesus speaks uniquely to seven different congregations, very different things. Mm -hmm. So what does he want to say? And so the bias there actually is... I need to listen to see if Jesus wants to say something. And if he does, that becomes the inception point for what's preached, not the other two things. Okay. Okay. So the, so it's not so much um, that each one, like common faithfulness preaching, felt need preaching, spirit prompting preaching. I think that it is really about the starting place is what you're emphasizing. That's right. I think we could probably tell which one you're leaning towards. <laughs> but, but why don't you explain, like, what is your bias when yeah. you're... Um, planning your preaching. Yeah. So here at Sanctus, this has been something that I think is is not unique to Sanctus, but I think it has been uniquely worked out in a long period in Sanctus. Mm. So my bias, I jokingly say, is three, then one, then two. Okay. So I'll walk that three, then one, then, then two. Our, our bias is first and foremost, realizing that uh, Jesus uniquely owns Sanctus, like he does every other local church, 
realizing that the Lord might want to say something specific, we always take time before we go to common faithfulness and felt needs. We say, Jesus, what do you want to say to our church? Is there something that, is there a passage? Is there a theme? Is there a book of the Bible? Is there a group of books in the Bible that our congregation needs to hear? And if so, what are those things? And then we're going to trust you that the timing of that is going to be perfect, Hmm. right? It's just like, you know what's coming, and I actually don't know what's coming. And uh, so I would say my bias is prompt-based, which we'll talk about in, I think, some more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Common faithfulness is my second one. Mm -hmm. My least uh, go-to one is felt needs. And the reason is is um, we live in a 24-7 moment where uh, we, we are bombarded with the world instantaneously. And so the problem with felt needs preaching sometimes or responding to the culture is you suddenly have to be an expert on everything, which, by the way, we're not, and pastors cannot be experts in a billion things 24-7, and you would never stop reacting And so um, I think there are times that that's necessary. Uh, And I think there are times it's helpful, but I think uh, they are rare. That's my bias. Mm -hmm. I found uh, three than one more helpful for the long run than the other one. Mm -hmm. Now, other people can disagree and that's okay, but that's just from uh, from our experience here. Okay. And I mean, you are um, one that enjoys finding out what's going on in the world. You're regularly uh, keeping yourself aware of what's happening. So it's not saying don't be aware. It's just saying like, let that not be the guide. The driving force. Um, planning your sermon. And we're talking about an individual sermon, but actually you use this on on a much larger scale. Right. Uh, It's not just about sitting down to write this coming Sunday sermon, but uh, planning even an entire annual calendar around this. Tell a little bit about how uh, you have led our staff in our annual planning to follow this practice. Yeah. So one of the things uh, that I've tried doing more and more and more is making sure that all of those that have to live in or out of the sermon have as much time as possible. Mm. So for example, uh, I always, uh, when in years past, we always had to have, have the sermon done by Thursday by two, mm-hmm. right? And the reason why we started doing that is because we wanted to honor worship leaders. We wanted to honor people who had to do back then PowerPoint or ProPresenter. And, you know, none of this Saturday night, last minute, I'm throwing this to volunteers because it's just disempowering. Um, uh, now we're in a different state where it's a lot uh, even sooner. And uh, so what's happened and evolved over here uh, in our system at Sanctus is in our yearly planning cycle, uh, we have this thing called initiators. And uh, one of the initiators is uh, the idea of what does the Lord want to uniquely say to Sanctus? And so one of my roles, uh, we always use the uh, sort of Old Testament illustration of Moses. Moses used to walk up and sit with God like a friend speaks with a friend. And then he would come down and speak to the elders and then walk in front of the people. And so one of my roles actually in this season, while we're recording this actually, is to spend significant time with the Lord saying to him, as you see Sanctus, Jesus, uh, what do you want to say in this upcoming ministry year? And then what happens is, uh, um, and we'll talk about why this happens and why I'm not unique or special, it's just something else. I'll usually be given a theme, a phrase, but very specifically, I'm usually given 
either a group of topics or even more specifically, a group of books we're supposed to go through. And that's usually given, because uh, our planning cycle, the way we work is the initiator process begins like November, December. Then it then it really gets going in January. And then, of course, plans are built from January uh, till June or May, and then a budget is built, and then we launch from September to June. Like in you and I never live in real years. We live in ministry years, September to June. Um, so so this idea of going before Jesus and saying to him, what do you want to say uh, to Sanctus in 2024, 2025, for example? And, and, and not why do you want to say it, what do you want to say? And listening and hearing, uh, reporting, testing, and then building up literally a calendar from that moment for a year where we have a sense of what the Lord wants to say. And so interestingly, if you do that, it's pretty difficult to preach on felt needs because you don't know what's going to happen in the world around you in a year's time. Right. And so sometimes when we talk about like relying on the Holy Spirit to guide us, I know I've been in situations, especially I used to lead a lot of missions trips. And so when you would come into an experience and be told... Don't prepare your sermon. Let's just allow the Spirit to uh, guide you as you get up in front of people right now right? and (laughs) and speak. And and praise the Lord. And of course, there's room for that. I'm not saying there's not room. And and please don't misunderstand this as you're hearing this, listening to this, watching this on a plane, train, you're in a car. Please not be watching this in a car, (laughs) just listening. Uh, Just understand, um, there is some fluidity to this. This is not like legalistic, but the starting point is I want heaven's view of this church. Because actually, heaven's view matters the most. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll give an example, um, uh, just on uh, two examples, if you don't mind, of, uh, of the implications of this. Maybe we can talk in a bit about how this happens and why. But um, we had a former staff member here whose brother attended uh, a church downtown Toronto, great church that uh, my friend leads. It's an awesome church, Presbyterian in background, and a uh, little different vibe than us. They're they're more on the classical side of things. I mean that literally, the classical side of music. Uh, they are uh, from the Tim Keller sort of side of um, the Redeemer movement. And one year, we were preaching through Galatians, and they were preaching through Galatians, and this former staff's brother went to that church. And what he would do is he'd listen to the sermon in the morning at that church. Then he'd listen to our podcast at night. Mm. And what I didn't know is actually we were basically tracking the same passages each week. So he was hearing it. And so it was intriguing. And my friend was the other one preaching there. And Mm -hmm. he's a different style than I do, of course, my personality and gift. Mm -hmm. And I asked this uh, younger staff woman, I said, listen, what does your brother think? Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, it was a question. It wasn't like, you know, I get a 6.10 and he gets a nine. It wasn't asking right, right, that, right. but it was like, what's the difference? And the brother articulated something that we had done for years. I just never had in my head. He said, mm-hmm. oh, when my pastor preaches, uh, he preaches the text just like John does. And actually, interestingly, they come almost to the exact same conclusion every time. That's where my pastor stops. Hmm. And then John does this weird thing, or whoever's speaking at Sanctus does this weird thing, where he'll then speak um, at the end about why the Spirit gave us Galatians for this year and what the Spirit was uniquely saying in the text and beyond the text for this moment. He said it's situationally spoken out of the authority versus just letting the authority sit. And he says it's a huge difference maker. And I went, oh, Hmm. we take that for granted here. But actually, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So that's like one example of um, uh, 
why I think what happens here is quite beautiful, because not only do you have the same confidence that a common faithfulness preacher or a felt needs preacher has, because we all know this is God's word and we are all possessed by the spirit and he's going to honor that. But when you know that Jesus wanted you to talk on Galatians in this year for this church for a reason, it's like you've got double confidence, not arrogance, but you know that you know there's a reason why. And what I've been struck with for years here is by the time we're done the year, people go, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's exactly what our church was facing, and we didn't even know it was coming. So the crazy example for us that I just used to sort of highlight this heavy is just before COVID happened, I went up the mountain, as you jokingly said, right? Spent some time. This is like, so this would be like, what, uh, November 2019, I suppose? Okay. Yeah, December Mm -hmm, 2019 mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. Because the pandemic started March 2020. Yeah, 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm good with information, terrible with dates. So um, so uh, I'd spent time with the Lord and said, what do you want to say to Sanctus? Clear as day. It was just like, it was like lightning actually in the moment. The Lord said uh, three things. Uh, Second Timothy, takes them through Second Timothy on perseverance. Uh, go through Philemon on race and forgiveness and racism. And then he said, go through three parts of Exodus where the people have left Egypt and talk about how I'll be with them, I'll be their provider or protector or something like that. I was like, oh, wow, like this, I'd never preached on Philemon. I don't think I'd preached on Second Timothy in a long time or ever. And I hadn't done a series like this. So we prepared it. And then the pandemic happens. And like Second Timothy is about suffering and perseverance. The Exodus stories were all about God being with us in horrific moments. And then, of course, the grand moment happens in the United States where there's a murder and Black Lives Matter comes up and there's massive racial conversations taking place. And remember, we we build out the preaching schedule a year in advance. And so Philemon was already set for a certain date. And I think it was within six or seven weeks of when everything happened. And I end up preaching through Philemon. Uh, systematically, and everyone's angry. Everyone's angry. People leave the church all over the place saying, you know, you you weren't supportive enough of people of color. Then other people are like, you're too woke, John, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But what was so brilliant is everyone got offended because the word of God would not allow them to control the narrative. The word of God was the authority, not culture, not pain, not experience, his word. Mm-hmm. And so what was so interesting is the Lord knew that we needed to have this very difficult conversation. He knew it was coming. We had no clue it was coming. And that was already in the moment. Now, the results were very difficult, but the results beyond the moment have been actually very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think that demonstrates the strength of at least asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in hindsight, you look back and see how he had... Uh, answered the ask by guiding you to which specific books. Right. Um, but if you hadn't asked in the first place, right. wouldn't have taken time to listen. Right. Um, and so that's th- that's really what you're talking about, is just listening to the Spirit of God as we prepare. Um, and so how do you do that for a specific sermon then? Yeah. Um, so um, uh, from... From that worldview, you know, once, so right now, like just while we're recording this, we've just finished 
uh, I think, I don't know how many weeks in Acts. We're in Acts and then we're doing, mm-hmm. we're getting our small C Catholic on. We're talking about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the yes. God bearer for the next three weeks, uh, which is going to be an interesting conversation for our church for sure. But one thing I will always be doing uh, as uh, I'm writing out the sermon, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more even later, is I always want to remain open to make sure that as we're doing the hard exegetical work and there are natural applications out of it, is there something that the Holy Spirit uniquely also wants to say that Sunday? And there's just, again, that check and that openness to see if there's something to be said uh, that needs to be emphasized uh, out of all the good things that could be emphasized. And sometimes he speaks, and by the way, sometimes he doesn't. He's not a genie. Like mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people say, when they hear me talk about this, they go, well, John, like, you know, if you go up the mountain uh, and I hear nothing, then what do I do? I said, well, then get on with common faithfulness preaching or felt need preaching because they're not wrong. And if he doesn't uniquely want to speak, great, then preach God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in more traditional uh, settings, like in an Anglican setting, they, they do lectionary preaching where they basically would publicly, I think, in a two-year period, like literally read all of the Bible over a two-year period. And then there's a way how they they have like, I think it's a Psalm or Prophet or Old Testament and a gospel or a New Testament reading. And they somehow to tie a thread between them all and preach that. Um, that's another form, in my opinion, of common faithfulness preaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's interesting, though, um, just how clearly you can speak with confidence to say, God said this, I, I, like God was prompting me here, his spirit prompting this, and you have a unique set of giftings, right. one of your giftings, words of knowledge, yeah. This, um, uh, which this isn't exactly words of knowledge, but this is like mm, hearing him, yeah. right? Yep. So um, Help us who are listening. If we don't have a specific gift mix like John Thompson, sure. can I still go up the mountain? How do I, um, or especially those who actually are responsible for leading vision in their church? Sure, yeah, take, or, or teaching. Take time to do this. Yeah, like I think we said this in another episode. Uh, my, my begging right now of Christian leaders, Anglican, Baptist, Presbyterian, Alliance, brethren, you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I'm begging people just to even consider listening. Yeah. Now, um, there are a certain um, group of spiritual gifts I have uh, that have been confirmed in community hundreds of times over uh, that do lead to the appearance that I hear quicker and better. Uh, And so that helps in this process, especially being a Moses-like figure, right? You know, Moses speaks to God like a friend speaks to a friend. That, That experientially is very real for me and is confirmed time and time again. What I would say is everyone needs to know, it's not just I show up in a staff meeting and go, Philemon, you know, it's like, I think God has said Philemon. We talk about it. There's prayer to make sure that, like we always jokingly say, it's not the butter chicken or tacos from last night. It's not John's agenda. There is there is a testing process to it. But if you don't have a spiritual set of spiritual gifts like I do, which is great and fine, that's a sovereign thing, then I would encourage you to listen in community. Mm-hmm. Like you can do this in community. I listen first, then go into community. You might be part of a teaching team or an elder-led church versus a staff-led church, but like take time to have people in the room that have certain gifts and also know how to use certain disciplines to listen mutually together and hear God's voice or hear his silence. And silence isn't bad. Like this is one thing um, I think we just got to get better and better at. When God doesn't speak, it's not judgment all the time. Sometimes he just doesn't speak. And so that's okay. 
And if so, then common faithfulness and felt needs, can you can be very strategic, very helpful, very spirit-filled. But I'm just saying to people, I think God isn't speaking 24-7. Uh, he does through nature, but you know what I mean? Like, But I think he's maybe speaking more to leaders than leaders know or want to acknowledge or know how to listen. And I think a lot would get clear if serious time was taken, especially around preaching. Because in evangelical Protestant churches uh, or conservative historic Orthodox churches, um, preaching is the rudder uh, of the ship in many cases and still is a leadership thing. That It sort of leads vision. It bleeds between the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, th- I think um, what I'm hearing you saying, which is very helpful, that you either start in community uh, and and do your listening together because as a body, you're hearing him speak, um, or in your approach, uh, you hear first and then bring it to community for the testing. Correct. Both work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, really yeah, some of it's personality, some yeah. of it's authority, some of it's gift mix, some of it's um, uh, how, what office you have, all of that stuff. But I think what I'm saying is as pastors are listening to this, as preachers are listening to this, I would just beg people to talk about, this is maybe important, to talk about where your bias is with other people who do this thing. Uh, and especially some of you might be listening to this and you might be a youth pastor or a young adults pastor, an associate pastor, and your senior pastor is like a common faithfulness preacher or a topical preacher or a felt needs preacher. And you're like, the spirit of God's telling me we need to do this. And if you're not careful, just like when we talk about spiritual gift and gift tension, we talk about this about calling theology. If you don't have these categories clear and you're able to talk about them, it can lead to jealousy, presumption, disunity, and anger, even hatred. And so I have found when when teaching communities or pastoral teams talk about what the bias is in the room and they're honest about it, but they're open to the other thing if needed or if allowed, depending on the environment, uh, real health comes out of that. And I think, I think there's a lot of uh, tension uh, in teaching rooms over this that are rarely talked about. Yeah, because you have given some categories language that then makes it just so much easier to have the conversation right. um, and to help to identify it. Yeah, and I just think churches need to be honest. It's just like when we talked about mission, vision, and cultural vision. Mm-hmm. When you are clear about mission or vision or cultural vision, people go yes or no. Mm-hmm. When you're clear about this, people go yes or no, and that's actually okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and I want to re- re- say this because you just said we were going to say it two or three times. And our friends down the street in the Christian Reformed Church, in the Baptist Church, in the Pentecostal Church, who we all love, pray for, and work with, uh, we don't think our approach is better. Mm-hmm. We've just decided to make this primary because our bias around here is Jesus is our model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he worked out of permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that you repeated it again. It's not necessarily that one is better than the other, but nope. this is the bias that we have chosen um, because we have found it to be helpful, especially when we look back in hindsight and just see how God has directed us um, and uh, and made those decisions in regards to our schedules, but also uh, when we are individually preparing a sermon. Yeah. And so when you s- prepare a sermon uh, and you are thinking about... Um, how do you continue to facilitate that Jesus' word has just been spoken um, and now what needs to happen in the room? What, what is some of the thoughts that you have in that regard? As Yeah, so we're going to, we're uh, um, uh, probably in three or four times from now, we're going to do a whole podcast on how we facilitate the work of the Holy Spirit pre, during, and after a service. Okay. And um, and and when we get to that one, Ange, uh 
we're going to talk about the, what the role of preaching is, prompting and planning and preaching. But then th- there is there is something afoot um, that happens here regularly that we're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of our little uh, biases here, and I'll just spill it out just a little and then I'll theologically unpack it. If you ever go to a Roman Catholic service, they would say the height of the sermon is, uh, the height of the service is not the sermon. Mm-hmm. The height of the service is Eucharist. That is the Lord's Supper because they, of course, believe that the body and blood of Christ are literally transformed, which we would theologically, of course, disagree with. Mm-hmm. But uh, we would say he's present. So we have a stronger mm-hmm. view than a lot of our other friends. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is our view of a, a, a worship service is actually more Catholic, small c Catholic, than it is baptistically evangelical or alliance or lots of other churches we maybe come from. Okay. Where a lot of churches we grew up, it was like the sermons preached, God has spoken, we sing a song and we leave. Where I would say, no, the, uh, the sermon has been preached, God has just spoken. The living Jesus is in the room. He's there. Now, what do we do in the moment to respond to him mm-hmm. uh, out of the spirit prompted word? And we're going to talk about how we facilitate that uh, coming in the next few episodes. I don't know when it's going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in regards to preaching then specifically, as you're preparing a sermon and you are um, leaning on Holy Spirit to have given you a prompting towards the direction, is that even when you're looking at one passage? How does that work out? Yeah, no. What, what I would say in our context is once like we're going through book the book of Acts, uh, we, you know, we map out you know, how many weeks are we going to spend in the book of Acts? We're literally doing every chapter. We're doing 18 weeks. We're doing only some of them, all of that sort of work, mapping it out. Uh, and then we do the hard exegetical work as we should. And by the way, this is not like a podcast on how to exegete the scriptures. This is, you know, that's mm-hmm. not what this is about. But we do, you know, we do um, the hard work of understanding what the text meant, the language, what it meant historically, what it means today. But in the middle of that, of course, there are natural applications that come out out of uh, out of a text. And then there are, there are some that you're like, wow, that really fits with our cultural moment. But then I always pause and say, Holy Spirit, uh, is there something that Jesus, on behalf of the Father, actually wants to say uh, this week out of this text specifically? And sometimes there's nothing, and you just let the application flow and I think in our next episode, we're going to talk about how our applications here are a little different than other places, because it's not just one or three necessarily. Uh, but I think I think there are moments where the Holy Spirit says to whoever's preaching, actually, you know, say these things, but tell the people this. And that, again, humble posture and awareness after you've done the hard hermeneutical exegetical work, it is profound to see what the Holy Spirit does when you've listened again in the week, not just within the year. And um, the results are always like beautiful and actually quite striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I'm excited to start talking about those applications mm-hmm. uh, and where that goes. But I really think that um, just relying on uh, the spirit to lead you in the process just to recap again, it means just intentionally taking time to listen um, and asking that specific question, what do you want to say to this movement, this church at this time? Yeah. Um, and that that is different than um, – it's a different starting place. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's And I would say it's modeled in Jesus. Yeah. And, and maybe connecting to that as we, you know, sort of start thinking about the end of our conversation today on in, in this one – we were talking about audiences, yeah, and I think that's maybe something we we could end with here, talking mm-hmm. about it's not only listening to the Holy Spirit about what he wants to say, there also needs to be a really strong intentionality 
about being aware of who is in your audience. So this is where I would say mm-hmm. almost like uh, felt needs in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you and I both lead a church in the most multicultural city in the world. Mm-hmm. It is 6.45 million, I think. 300 heart languages are spoken in our amazing city every day. I think we estimate we probably have 55 nations uh, distinctly uh, in our church, and probably they're all at the site you lead, <laughs> or the vast majority of them are, are here. And we also live in this really weird place where it is uh, modern, and we've talked about this postmodern, and it's um, atheistic and agnostic and spiritual and violent and pagan and all the things. And one of the things that we're really careful about is that we never presume who's in the room. And so um, maybe I'll do a super summary, if you're good with this now, Mm -hmm. about the different audiences we speak to, and then we'll talk about more of it later, uh, maybe at another episode. But I think what we've done is not only being led by the Spirit, we really want to help someone listening virtually or in an, in a, in a, on our online site or actually in a, in a pew or a chair, depending on what site they're at for us, uh, that they could go, oh, he just acknowledged that I'm here. And I, I think that's so unbelievably important, and there's a discipline to that. So in our context, we're not seeker-sensitive in the traditional way, but we are absolutely seeker-aware. Mm. And and the problem, especially in upper middle class uh, suburban churches, seeker out of the 90s and 2000s became a, wor- a way of saying non-Christian, right? If you're a seeker. The problem is all sorts of non-Christians are not seekers. Right. Actually, many of them are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the language I'll use regularly, and you see this all the time, is I will literally, while I'm preaching, saying, you might be a seeker today. You literally are seeking truth. You might be a skeptic here today. You don't believe a word that's coming out of my mouth and your hands are crossed and you don't even know why you're here. I'll regularly say you might belong to another formal religion. And sometimes I'll say you might be a Muslim or a Hindu or an Orthodox Jewish person. And I'll just list them. Sometimes I'll say you're a brand new Christian. Like I think I said it two weeks ago. I said, oh my goodness, some of you probably just became Christians at the Holy Spirit weekend at Alpha like yesterday Mm -hmm. after I'm preaching. Some of you have been Christians for decades. You're a long-term Christian. And some of you are Christian-ish. I think that's why I say mm. it. You're Christian, but you're Christian because grandma's a Christian or you have Christian memory. Now, I don't do that for 25 minutes. But I'll say that list usually once or twice a sermon at the beginning and the end. And basically what I'm doing is, A, I'm acknowledging I never presume who's in the room. And number two, I'm letting people find themselves in the story. And if you don't acknowledge someone, then it can be sound very tone deaf. Because remember, for you who are preaching, just hear this, please. Lots of people who come into your services uh, don't know what to do because they're not in love with the person we're in love with. And we forget this all the time. I think the analogy I used years ago was um, coming to a worship service much of the time is like walking down the aisle Hmm. on your wedding day. Because you're like, you're here and you're, you're walking down the aisle to meet the love of your life. And that's why you raise your hands and you sing and sometimes you cry and sometimes you sit there and you're sad, but it's very like engaged. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not in love with the person, it's like lots of people who come to our churches aren't walking down the aisle. Mm-hmm. They're actually like, they're the guest who got invited by the cousin who doesn't even want to be there. Right. Right. They don't want to see the slideshow. Yeah. Right. And so by acknowledging them, they go, oh, that guy knows I might be here. And here's the wild thing regularly, and you lead our our largest site, probably our most diverse site, 
all these people are always here. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the thing that blows my mind. I don't know why skeptics are here, but they're here. And not just virtually, like in person. And, and multiple times, uh, Muslims and Hindus are, are here. Mm-hmm. People will say, I was drawn to the building. I didn't know why I'm here. I got dragged out by a friend. And there are, you know, people who've deconstructed. So by acknowledging them and saying, uh, hey, listen, we're glad you're here or we want you to join. And usually at the end of the sermon, I'll even say like, if you're in this category, God says this to you. And mm-hmm. if you're in this category, God says this to you. And if you're in this category, God says this to you. And people go, oh, wow, like, I'm a brand new Christian, and he said, think about this. That's, thank you. Versus just like, glad you're here, everyone, and you just presume everyone in the room is the same. It's just death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, John, you've learned so much, I think, around the language to use uh, when you're addressing people, how to help people feel belong, a sense of belonging, how to help them feel included. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to get into a little bit more of that in another podcast because you've got lots more to say on that. Absolutely. We all say this, uh, everyone feels that they can belong, but no one's comfortable by the end of a sermon, (laughs) not even me. So like, you know, uh, one thing we, we used to say, you know, the classic thing around here, we want this a safe place to find God. We, I got rid of that so quick when I became senior pastor, no church should be a safe place to find God because God, you know, it's the, it's the brilliant, everyone's rolling their eyes in their cars because they know what I'm about to say. It's the C.S. Lewis quote about Aslan, right? Mm. Uh, Aslan's not safe, but he's good. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this idea of encountering God is not always safe, but it's good. And so we're going to um, probably end here and we're going to hang out together for another episode of uh, Perseverance, the Perseverance podcast related to preaching. And we're going to go a lot farther than we did today. Hopefully this is helpful for you, anyone who's listening right now, and want to encourage you to uh, listen to some other, uh, share this with other people, reflect And uh, we took some time, and we should say this, we took some time uh, before we recorded this to pray that anyone who's a preacher or a teacher or anyone who feels they might be called into this, that Jesus would really use this to speak and help uh, in your context. So we really pray it's helpful, and we'll see you uh, for episode number eight. Thanks, Ange. Thank you so much, John. Thanks, everyone.